instead of wanting to be right, you have to really put it in your heart and soul to get it right, which means listening for understanding that reply. And David, you and I have talked about this so much. We always listen for that great reply where we can really get them. Is this thing on? All right. Show three, let's do it. Welcome to the Veterinary Business Success Show with me, Dr. Dave Nichol. In this podcast, we'll be exploring ideas and subjects that can be used to manage your veterinary practice better. On today's show, I'm joined by Nips in the Bud, not the Butt author, litigator turned mediator Deborah Hamilton, who shares why mediation is often a cost-effective and lower-stress route to take through conflict, not least because it is likely to result in a more satisfactory outcome for all parties. In an age when the threat of reputational damage on the internet frankly terrifies us and endows clients with enormous and what seems like unfair power, methods to avoid relationship implosions seem like a very good idea. In our COVID stress world where complaints seem to be on the rise, Deborah and her collaborative approach to conflict resolution might just be your best friend. We are going to the land that no vet wishes to go, no practice owner, no very few human beings wish to go there, right? Unless there's something a little bit wrong with with them. And that is the land of conflict. I'm joined by but Deborah Hamilton, one of my favorite people in veterinary medicine uh, and author of How to Use Mediation to Resolve Conflicts Over Animals. Deborah, you've got a slightly different view of conflict than the rest of us. So why don't you lead us in a direction that you think we should be going? Well, you know, it's so funny you started that way because when conflict occurs, it is the reptilian brain the defensive brain that takes over as opposed to our prefrontal cortex, which we know better. However, how do we stop ourselves? It's sort of like that car at the top of a San Francisco hill. If you give it a shove, it's going down the hill. But if you give it a shove and you can get back into your prefrontal cortex, you can stop it without having been run over and smashed at the bottom. So, oh, wait, great well, How do you do that? How, well, how do you get away from that lizard brain moment? You know, so to give you a little of my background so your audience knows where I come from, I'm a litigator. That's what I did. I was a district attorney here in Westchester County, New York for several years. Then I was an inspector general. So I was always about finding, you know, the issue and punishing you for the issue and, and holding you responsible. And there was no give and take. Uh, and then I took about 13 years off and became a PTA mom. And I realized that mode of opera or operation doesn't work really well. Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> and so when I got back into the practice of law in 2010, I realized I had shifted the way I looked at issues rather than I'm right, you're wrong. I want to get it right. I want to make sure that we get it right. I'm stealing a line from Brene Brown because she said, instead of wanting to be right, you have to really put it in your heart and soul to get it right, which means listening for understanding that reply. And David, you and I have talked about this so much. We always listen for that great reply where we can really get them. God. Oh, yeah. We want so to be that or you, Oscar or, Wilde quip yeah, moment. Or if you walk right. away and say, shoot, I should have said that. Why didn't I think of that at the time? And I'm telling you that in my office, I get so many calls from people who are unhappy with their veterinarians and I try to have them respond and be able to talk to, I teach clients as well. So don't think I only teach veterinarians how to speak to their clients or their staff. I teach the staff and the, and the clients how to speak to the veterinarians because we're all human. We all go into that part of our brain when somebody criticizes us, especially if we're professionals. 
I have a program, Stop, Drop, and Roll, and the drop is drop the need to be right. And, um, okay, I'm raising my hand. I really have a hard time doing that too. And, David, I know we we do in our best selves want to say, oh, absolutely, I'm going to listen. However, if somebody's telling you you kill their pet, there's absolutely no way you can stop yourself from hurtling down that San Francisco hill. Stop, drop, and, and roll. And roll right. Uh, you got to tell me more about that, Deborah. That sounds like an amazing program. Give it like. Oh God, it's my it's my lifeblood because I'm really big on mnemonics. When I give this program, most of the vets who leave put up signs in their office that say "Stop, drop, and roll," and people don't know what it means. It's sort of like that go to um, manner of responding that will help you. So stop means stop talking and listen. They can't hear you if they are angry with you, if they are angry with your staff, whatever it is, they really can't hear you when you say, I really apologize, or that's not what we mean. There's a great book by Harriet Lerner that says, why is it so hard to apologize? Well, because we usually apologize with a but. And I always say, get your butt out of your head and maybe get your head out of your butt. But um, anyway, uh, you need to stop talking because they can't hear you. And I always say to people, especially veterinarians who call me who are in the middle of this and their malpractice insurance people say, don't worry, we'll take care of it, which means they'll escalate it. So their license is reviewed. Um, and you know, the person goes crazy and then hires my colleagues who feel really happy about the deep pockets that pet owners have now so that they can take on the insurance company and don't mind losing $10,000 and really getting no outcome because the vet wasn't wrong. So I'm that person in the middle who helps the veterinarian learn language. And if they do it in mediation, they're protected. Um, so they find that ability to have a conversation with their client in a safe environment so they can listen to what it was that they said that wasn't incorrect, but was perceived incorrectly. Because Ooh. what happens, right? Um, a veterinarian at Cornell, when I was speaking, raised her hand and said, you know, you're so right. I was a new vet. I had a client in the room. She was talking, talking, talking about her cat. And I was trying to listen to her heart. So I had the stethoscopes in my ears. I'm listening to the cat's heart. And I held up my finger. And she went into orbit. Orbit. The client went into orbit and wanted to have the girl fired. And she said, because it triggered her. Her mother used to do that to shut her up. And how are you as a vet going to know that? You know, you're looking at the cat. You're not looking at what's happening. And so if, in fact, that kind of thing occurs, you want to, you know, I always say to people, you can appreciate how somebody feels. You can say, you know, David, I appreciate that that was really not the best thing I could have done for you. I appreciate that. Because the only thing that appreciate and agree have in common are the letters A-R-E. We are going to work this out if we each appreciate how we meant what was said. And you're not going to be able to have a conversation unless you appreciate first. And if you appreciate first, it's not a weak position. It's actually a strong position because when you stop talking and listen and appreciate what somebody says um, and you drop the need to be right, uh, you can be writer. My friend Gary Norman, who is like the best, says that's not a word, Deborah. And I said, well, it's a good word because you'll remember it. If you listen, find the things that you can have in common, right? You're right. We, this wasn't how we wanted this to turn out. This wasn't the experience we wanted you to have. What's wrong with that? Okay, pause for a second. So many questions. I want to ask you about that word appreciate. 
How, how do you define that? Tell, what does that mean to you? Because it's in a very specific context there. Absolutely. I, I love that you picked up on that because appreciate is the single most important piece that gets it out of I'm right, you're right. It gets it out of that discussion because you're not saying, I didn't say you were right, David. I said, I appreciate how you feel. And you have to make sure you don't do it condescendingly, which of course we all, I'm guilty, um, do it with a tone of voice <laughs> that really doesn't mean appreciate. Oh, I appreciate how you feel. That really, no. So I it, I always tell my veterinarians and I tell my clients um, who are with me, the pet owners and sometimes the staff, I go, when you say I appreciate, look them in the eye and say, you know, I appreciate all the information you've just given to me. It's really important that you were able to say that to me. And I want to really, uh, you know, appreciate your courage and the information you gave me. If you add something like, but not the manner you gave it to me, not helpful, not helpful because it's just incendiary. It's just defensive. Just lacing it with yeah. poison, isn't it? That's the condescending poison. So what you want to do is you want to really, you're going to be in your reptilian brain at the beginning because you never want to hear people say the things they say. And believe me, my colleague Nadine Hamilton from Australia goes really in depth on how people can really be unkind. And believe me, my clients who call will dump their buckets. And then after they dump their buckets, I say, you know, I really appreciate that you have an incredibly strong point of view, which is- When you, very- when you say dump your buckets, do you mean they lose their shit? Ah, uh, they lose their shit. They do. They tell <laughs> okay. me all the things that are Got so it. terrible and how this person should have their license revoked and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And Got I it. never undermine their feeling because I'm, I never am able in my mediation setting to uh, help someone get to that higher level of understanding on both sides if I say, well, you know- what you're thinking is really wrong because right there, shut down, never going to talk to her again because she's on David's side and I'm never going to talk to her again. And I know some of the mediations that are occurring in the UK sometimes seem like that to the pet owners and sometimes to the veterinarians. Well, they've taken her side, they've taken our side and the beauty of mediation, it's really hard to do. And I'm likely the only one who has put her entire career on hold to do it, um, her legal career, because I will not litigate anymore. I'll only help people resolve conflicts in mediation because because the veterinarian has to know what happened that escalated this this sentence that was probably not meant in the way it was taken, or maybe it was, um, and how they can pull back and how the client can feel heard and also pull back because it wasn't meant that way. Or if it was, the everyone who said whatever they said takes responsibility and accountability for what they did. And if you can do it in a way where I loved when you said and have a better relationship later, so many of the cases that I've been able to work on where the veterinarians took on the malpractice insurance people and said, no, I'm going to pay for my own mediation and I'm going to do it myself because here in the United States, we don't have what you have. We don't have the opportunity to go because the defense bar here um, says mediation is really great once litigation starts. And I have to tell all your listeners, once litigation starts, mediation is so ineffective because there's nothing in it for the plaintiff's attorney, the pet owner's attorney. He does not get paid if you resolve it uh, in mediation and not litigation. So I'm just going to tell you, and I love my plaintiff colleagues. They're wonderful. They do a great job. They help people. There's a group in the United States called Joey's Legacy. There's a group in the UK called Vets and Vets something that's criticizing the mediation program that the Royal Vet College is doing now um, because there's not enough of neutrality. And it is really hard. 
It is really hard to be neutral, but that's what you need because you need both parties to understand what the other one really meant or really did or really heard and felt and sensed because it, and this isn't, believe me, I am, I am not um, necessarily politically correct all the time, but I do know in my case, you asked me about some of the cases in the cases that I've had where both parties felt as if they were heard. And I check in all the time, David, do you feel hurt? Do you feel like I'm, I'm, you know, please let me know. And I stop my mediations two or three times. And I only do two hour mediations to say, how are you feeling? Are you feeling as if this is a safe place for you and you're feeling heard? Because that's the only way for the veterinarian to nip conflict in the bud and the only way for a client to feel as if this will never happen to another client. And let me tell you, David, if I had a nickel for every time a client called my office and said, I just don't want this to happen to anybody else again, I would not have to do this anymore. And I'd be on a beach um, in with some turtles walking up on the beach, laying their eggs. And I'd be able to save the little guys running down the beach. Uh, because that is the first place clients go until they're ignored. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. How do you develop or can you develop two things? First thing is this impulse to career down the hill how, how do you hotwire that and then i also want to ask what can we do to develop our appreciation muscle more yeah both great questions so if you put the sign stop drop and roll in your office that'll help because that'll be that visual cue and i know that all of us who are in professions right we need cues to remind us because when we're in the throes, you need something right there that is going to help you. So you'll say, okay, so I'm going to just stop talking now. And you don't say that because that's condescending prickish. And um, I hope that's not too strong a word to you. <laughs> Do not be a condescending prick. So stop talking and listen. Um, and, and when somebody says something, say, David, I am so glad that you let me know how the front desk treated you, how you interpreted what I said, how, whatever it is, it, just appreciate. And the appreciation muscle is a hard one to do without the butt. I appreciate you told me that, but you're wrong. Well, <laughs> yes, just yep. don't even say appreciate then because you have just negated everything and escalated the fire. You've thrown fuel on the fire. So dropping the need to be right doesn't hurt you. What is it in us that needs to be right? Like, what is that? 
because we're professionals and we've gone to school and that's my degree up on the wall. And where did you get yours? I actually just had a conversation with the wonderful Dr. Marty Greer. And I was asking her about something and I said, I think this instead of this, but I got my doctor's degree out of a Cracker Jack box. Um, and of course, there was Dr. Google and everything else. You, you have to understand that I have the degree, you don't, and I'm going to tell you what to do. Well, P.S., that's not really the best way to proceed to get somebody to buy in to what you think is best. And I just talked to a great attorney, um, Jeremy Cohen, on my uh, Why Do Pets Matter podcast. And he said, I just wish that veterinarians would allow clients to go get a second opinion because they are right. And the second opinion is going to tell them they're right. Or we're going to have more information on which to make a decision so that the client feels as if they got the best information they could to save their pet. And, and he said, when I have clients call me, it's because the vet said this, 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 the dog didn't survive. The cat didn't survive. And then they're second guessing themselves and they're crazy. I think that veterinarians, if somebody's giving you pushback or if somebody really has something that they want more information on collaborate, say, you know, Hey, I have Dr. Smith down the street uh, because I don't know that it would work so well if you had Dr. Smith in the next room come in, but Dr. Smith down the street, and then you can help Dr. Smith because, and I know we don't have time and I know that's a pain in the ass, um, but if you really want to be right, being able to have the confidence in your diagnosis that you can then reach out to Dr. Nickel and say, listen, I mean, today we can send records in record time, right? It could be a 24-hour, and they could just either see the dog or read your new your report and say, you know, this is what I would do too. Or, and wouldn't David appreciate this? God, you know, I just read this article in the last, you know, vet journal that said A, B, and C. Did you see it? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you remembered it. Maybe you don't. And you're like, oh, shoot. Yeah, I could think of that. Let's talk about that. Because what the what the client wants is they don't want to be right because they don't think they're right. They don't know they're right. They have no idea. They're trusting you. But if um, shit goes wrong, you've already created that uh, collaborative conversation. And mm. so if you want to appreciate how somebody is thinking or doing or saying, you need to have a collaborative conversation with them. You can't. I'm a lawyer. So I'm always right. I just need to tell you that. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I know I'm right. No, I, you know, we aren't right. Um, and we need to embrace the fact that we should really find out what would be best for our clients. I'm now doing a conscious um, contract program that allows people to make these decisions together and actually write what's called a touchstone at the beginning. Why did we get into this? So if a veterinarian sits down with the client at the first meeting or has them read, this is what we do in this practice. We listen to you. We um, appreciate your points of view. We give you as much information as we can, and we welcome you to check up on us and, and, you know, call somebody else. And we're happy to give that information. But David, you and I both know that, you know, lawyers are not good um, sharers mm -hmm. and uh, veterinarians aren't necessarily good at having colleagues look over their shoulder or, you know, but I think that in this world with the amount of information people can get on the internet, right and wrong, I mean, right and wrong, you really need to embrace that and control it in a way that helps people as opposed to stopping it and, and shutting it down. You know, as I, as I said, drop the need to be right um, because you are right. I know you're right, David. I know every diagnosis you give spot on. Always, obviously. Yeah. So, so why would you even worry if they bring it down to Dr. Jones down the street and Dr. Jones says, well, it could be this, but it could be this. And then you say, you know, you're absolutely right. Let's have a chat. 
Mm-hmm. And that client feels as if you're really giving 120% to that animal. And you're right, it does take a little more time. And that screams confidence as well if you're oh, able to absolutely. do that without just backing up into a hole, right? Yeah, and um, you back up into a hole. So here's the thing then. And and this actually maybe is an offshoot or a different way of asking this question because obviously the best way to uh, deal with any mediation or conflict is not to get in it in the first instance. And a lot of the problems are going to come from expectations not being met, I would imagine. So here's 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 two schools of thought, and I'm I'm interested to hear how you would advise us. Uh, you know, I, I guess that there are you know, as part of writing my book for graduates, I looked at the ways that veterinarians are litigated against uh and 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 you know one of the the biggest one was clients apparent misunderstanding of what was intended or outcomes not matching promises or perceived promises so let's go in the exam room the consultation room where we are taught at university and we're taught almost this defensive style of medicine where we and and i I have an opinion on this i'm not going to hand it out but i'm going to ask it a little provocatively of you because you're a, a, a litigator or, or a mediator now yeah. um, drink the kool-aid drink the kool-aid so 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 we are taught at university to offer choice but not i don't think in in the sense that clients should be able to make it's informed consent now how can clients possibly make informed consent in the space of a one minute conversation about the the three or four options that might be going on in this incredibly complex thing with treatments using words they don't understand when they're in an emotional stage where their lizard brain is all switched on and we just overload them with that information is that the is that really the best way that we should be communicating, or d- what's your opinion on that? Like, how do we avoid this conflict in the first place? Well, now in COVID, it's even worse, don't you think? Because oh my right. god, you've lost all the conversion, you know, all, all of your other every, elements, every of- element of seeing a face and understanding mm. and and having confidence that David looks really confident. Yeah, right. Which takes us into telehealth and a whole other communication, oh, yeah. like thing happening there be the best of worlds and it can be the worst of worlds because information right away i can get my dog to an emergency room whatever because of the things that might happen which is great but then there's that lack of hands-on there's that lack of um relationship unless it's your Uh your telemedicine with right Uh, right right so i love what you asked because you're absolutely right if a veterinarian was in a room with a lawyer and the lawyer was dumping all this information, this is what you need to do. The veterinarian would feel the same way the client does when the veterinarian's telling them all the information about um, the the tumor on the spleen. Let's just use yes. concrete, you know, tumor on the spleen, yep. this is what you have to do. And um, I myself know from tumors on spleens because I've had many dogs that have had that. My vets opened them up and they've had pancreatic cancer or something else and we let them go, right? So it was horrible. Mm-hmm. But I always said, shit, I would never have operated on that spleen if I'd known that I would lose the dog that day, right? And yes. you know, my vet and I have a great relationship, but you know what? There are people that really get so angry, like you were supposed to see through the skin um, mm-hmm. and know that there was pancreatic cancer and that if we didn't open them up to take the spleen, they would have lived maybe another two weeks, a month, whatever, in relative comfort. You so- know, that's why I love keyhole surgery. Yeah. It, it removed that whole thing for me. But that's that, that's, yeah, a, that's a whole other point. But to, yeah. to your point, so we expect as um, 
owners to get all the information we can to make educated decisions. Uh, and you as veterinarians try to give us all the information we need to make a decision. However, you hold the ace because you know more than us. And if we have like my 20 year relationship with my vet, if you have that relationship, there's a level of trust that goes into those decision-making processes. Yes. Um, and so when you're a veterinarian and something goes wrong, you really do have to take the bull by the horns for a lack of a better term and say, you know, this really wasn't how, I mean, my vet did when the pancreas was full of cancer. This wasn't how I wanted this to turn out. You know, I'm, I'm really sorry. And it's not that it's malpractice or anything. It's that you've acknowledged that this is not how we, wanted this to turn out. And you said that at the beginning. Um, and there's so much information that we're front loading. And does the dog say it's an emergency, right? Um, the spleen burst, right? So it's an emergency. You have to go in. You have to do what you need to do. Uh, that information exchange is is on roller skates uh, and, and you have to trust. So what the veterinarian can choose to do and some of them do it beautifully. And I've had veterinarians who have beautifully sat down and said, this was so hard for me as much as it was hard for you because I didn't want to lose Fluffy. You know, Fluffy's been my patient for 10 years. I love Fluffy. And then there are the other people, and I loved when you said, and in school we are taught, who in the back of their lizard brain goes, oh shit, they told us to shut up, call malpractice and not say a word. And then malpractice um, advisors tell you to do the same thing. And then what could have been nipped in the bud um, because you could have empathized and been compassionate now escalates into litigation because you didn't take responsibility. Most of the lawyers in my um, American Bar Association Animal Law Committee say they don't like veterinarians because they don't take responsibility for their um, wrongdoing. And I, I raised my hand and I said, by the way, do you think that this is a chicken or egg question? Because my experience is that veterinarians want to have a conversation with their clients, even though it's hard and they really need training and language. And uh, Kelly Blazell and I are putting together a, a Speak the Right Language program coming up, um, I think in October, no, November, um, because it's about teaching people how to say things in a way that doesn't inflame. But when attorneys tell you what to do, how do you not do what they, they say? And mm -hmm. in the United States, if because you're scared of what the outcome would be, and, and, and your lizard brain comes in. Worse, if you don't do what they say, they can deny your coverage in front of the licensing board. So mm. here you are, you want to talk to David because, you know, shit went downhill. Um, and you can't because they said, listen, you know, wait till they sue you. There's nothing to talk about. I mean, I have a lot of defense attorneys who are my dear friends. Um, and they said, Deborah, there is nothing, you know this, and I do know this as a litigator, there's nothing to talk about until they're sued because let them put, put their money where their mouth is, sue the veterinarian, and then we'll have a conversation. And I go, you miss that sweet spot. You know, in tennis, everybody says there's a sweet spot on the racket. Well, there's a sweet spot in the conversation between a pet owner and a veterinarian or the staff member or whatever. It is at the very beginning after maybe 24 to 48 hours of the um, disconnect. If you mm -hmm. can then reconnect and of the say, injury of some kind, right? If you can reconnect and say, I'd like to have a conversation with you. And if it's the first conversation you have after the difficult discussion, if you can hold a safe space for them to dump their bucket of, as you said, shit, 
and then say, you know, David, you've given me so much information regarding my staff, regarding the way we communicated with you, regarding what happened to Fluffy, that I would love it, David, if we could get back together on Tuesday of next week. So say this is Wednesday, Tuesday of next week, and I'll have more answers and I'll have really looked into everything. Would that be okay with you? And do you know there is no one, no pet owner, who when I say that, if the veterinarian had said this, would you? No, I would have liked that they were going to do some research. And then when you get back together, two things happen. One is you have more information, which is always better to be full of information as opposed to information less. And the client has calmed down. Yeah, I love it. Uh, there are clearly going to be times when mediation is appropriate and inappropriate. I'm just conscious we, we probably don't have time to jump into that right now. And I feel like we could have like millions of conversations on this. But where can people go to learn more about how to avoid complaints and how to mediate their way through it for a better uh better being, better financial, better relationship, better for business, better for your mental health outcomes. And and, and the process, I will I will wager, Deborah, that actually starts training people, training that muscle of conflict resolution so that you can do it more and more effectively the more you actually do it. But because you're you're probably reducing your friction in your business because you're thinking about these instances and getting the feedback rather than going straight to headbutting. Where can people go to learn a bit more about this? Well, they can go to my website, hamiltonlawmediation.com. Um, they can also uh, put up our uh, Speaking the Right Language program with Kelly Blazell later on this month. Uh, but, you know, the interesting thing is uh, – I've started to really speak to all the students and the student groups because they're afraid and they haven't yet. Well, they have been told uh, that you just don't say anything, but they're, they're welcoming the idea and the process where you can learn language that deescalates. And I think that if you work with someone who deescalates language, who holds a safe space for how you feel and then enables you to feel right, feel correct, and also feel empathetic and compassionate towards someone who either misunderstood you um, or got you right, but you sort of didn't say it in a way. So the best way to find this, so my thought is I don't want anybody to have to mediate. I want people to step in before that ever happens, which is why when you mentioned the book, the title of the book is How to Use Mediation to Resolve Conflicts Over Animals and Includes Veterinarians and Divorce. But the, the cutesy title is nipped in the bud, not in the butt. Because what you want to do is you want to make sure it never gets there. And do that it's a language skill. And that's what I help my clients do. When they call me, they sit there and tell me, this is what happened and I can't believe it. And even when they're not able to speak to their veterinarian, their veterinarian is told not to talk. After they speak to me, they understand how they internalized information from a veterinarian and that they might have been biased toward he's an idiot and he killed my dog. But really that wasn't when they took the time to think about what was said and we go over the records, they understand, well, they were, but they didn't communicate in the best way. And often my clients can go back to the veterinarian and say, listen, I'd like to have a conversation about how we might be able to communicate better. So 
as I said, I don't just correct veterinarians because that's not going to work. I right. have to no. correct the way the clients come in and speak. That's why Nadine Hamilton and I are such good friends because she is <sighs> so powerful about how do people speak, you know, love your pet, yeah. love your vet, you know, yep. how do people speak to each other that way. Well, I can see why you guys get along. You're both doing great work. Uh, Deborah, thank you so much for your time with us on the podcast today. I dare say I will be uh, picking your brain about something. Uh, if you guys have questions or bits of this you want to learn more about, please please send them in to us and, and we may be fortunate enough to get a little bit of time with Deborah again in the future. If you wish to get a copy of her book, and I recommend you do, Nipped in the Bud, Not in the Butt, available on Amazon. Uh, and it has got uh, five stars, tons and tons of ratings. It's a goodie get it whilst you can thank you deborah appreciate your time today thanks david look forward to coming back and helping again so that wraps up today's episode of the veterinary business success show i hope you enjoyed it and if you did it would be most appreciated if you would leave a review on itunes and tell your friends in veterinary medicine all about us until next time from all of us here at vetx international be safe be well and be happy (laughs) 